It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 182 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the scumbag you saw to move to my scumbag promoter, Nick John Braccia the third. Nick, I had a lot going on in MMA between UFC 294 being completely reshuffled. We got a UFC fight night coming up at the Apex that honestly is like crowd worthy, right? Like it's a pretty good card. And Nick, and on top of all of that, uh, USADA between Dana White and USADA, it was USADA that was the scumbag apparently, Nikolai. Can you believe it? Yes, I can. I can. I can believe it because <laughs> of, of who we're dealing with. Like it's barely a sport. The way they treat the athletes, the way they make up rules to serve business, it is what it is, and we stick with it because we love the athletes and the comp- and the competition. But Dana White and company's thumb is on so many scales that it's it's you can only cover your eyes and cover your ears so long before you're just like this is not for me yeah and it apparently was specifically the conor mcgregor situation for those that don't know usada basically released a statement in which they said that conor mcgregor has entered the usada testing pool so he'll be eligible to compete in six months and and that they will be ending their relationship with the ufc because this conor mcgregor situation with the ufc has been quote-unquote untenable Right, and so you'd imagine that the UFC tried to pressure them into getting Connor uh, to just be able to compete in December like they wanted, despite the lack of USADA uh, testing uh, for six months as he re-enters the USADA testing pool. We all know this, right? Connor McGregor left the testing pool specifically so that he can get on some juice, so that he can it can help him heal and obviously make him stronger and maybe make him win again. Who knows? But but the bottom line is that Connor McGregor was avoiding USADA for good reason. He was basically sanctioned and allowed to use steroids. And now he wants back in, and he doesn't want a waiting period. And, you know, this this apparently was the kind of final straw for USADA. Uh, and Dana White, of course, is going to refer to USADA as the as the scumbag, presumably because they didn't give maybe Dana and, and the UFC a heads up about this. But it is, it is pretty interesting. Dana mentioning how Hunter Campbell, their quote-unquote lawyer, is going to be the one to handle that. Um, I don't know if he's threatening a lawsuit or what, but this should be interesting. I, you know, USADA has been complicit. It feels to me like in a lot of the funny business in, in the UFC when it comes to the testing. Right? We we know that Brock Lesnar tested positive before facing Mark Hunt a few years ago, and somehow the test results came out very conveniently after the fight happened, knowing that Brock Lesnar is the biggest, you know, the the, the biggest uh, factor when it comes to the draw for that, that was, card. Wasn't that pre? That wasn't that pre USADA. Was no, it UFC 200 no, it pre-USADA? Was, uh, uh, I mean, whatever testing there was, there was testing. I thought it was post-USADA. Uh, I, I may be mistaken. John Jones tested positive. I believe in Vegas or maybe in California, if I'm not mistaken. They switched the event to Vegas or maybe vice versa. But the bottom line is that like the UFC, whenever they're able, whenever they're, 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 they, they, it, it makes sense for them to, they have twisted USADA and made it work to their advantage is what it seems like. So I'm not sure why USADA is something like, oh, like we, we can't stand for this. Um, it seems like funny business all around to me, but I'm sure they're worried about their reputation and I'm sure there were some pretty stern, tough conversations that made them go, we can't keep doing this. This is going to solely a rep. So here we are. It's a, it's fascinating shift for Dana White of all people on this planet Earth to refer to anyone else as a scumbag because I can't think of a more appropriate word for the man. They need Connor for UFC 300. They just do. There's yeah. nothing else that they have unless they put a Paul brother on the card <laughs> that is that is going to push the numbers 
so that it can be anywhere near UFC 200 unless they have McGregor there. Even though he's older, he's not he has not been very successful, and he certainly hasn't looked good after say four minutes um, in years. You know, since since the I guess since the Khabib fight, really, um, and. Yeah, there's no UFC there's no UFC 300 without Connor and like it's it's happening soon. I guess that's the date uh it would be sometime in the early spring probably, right? Uh yeah, I think I think it was around April if I'm not mistaken that UFC 300 is at least tentatively scheduled for. So we'll see how that shakes out. I mean, that's seven, that's potentially 7 months, but uh you know, I get uh, maybe he maybe Connor is still is still taking vitamins to heal. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if healing is the priority anymore. Um, l- listen, uh, Connor McGregor is a fraction of his former self from from all uh, from all for all intents and purposes. And I wonder whether this juice just juiced up version is gonna is gonna make up for it. It just seems like he's drinking a fucking lot. He's partying a lot. Um, I, have, I have no idea how, how much actual training is he doing. And he's facing a guy that is, you know, basically has the makings of a 50-50 fighter at the UFC level, right? So, like, if there's a matchup that Connor could win uh, against the name guy who's still not too far off of his prime, it's it's Michael Chandler. Um, and so, you know, in that way, it, it makes sense for Connor. But at the same time, man, like Michael Chandler should be could be able to beat a fucking washed up. Uh, drinking every goddamn night, Conor McGregor. So uh, oh, Chandler's go- Chandler's going to show up to win too. I, I listen. He always shows up to win. He just you know he's, he's not going to be he's, happy. To he's be the guy. He's, yeah. This is Michael Chandler's the guy that got roughed up by Tony Ferguson in the first round. Yeah, he's the pro- the problem is yes, Conor's always going to be able to punch. Um, and with, it, I think you know the first round could look a lot. No matter what Conor shows up, could look a lot like the Eddie Alvarez fight. Yeah, there's a there's a very very decent chance of that. And then Nick, we have UFC 294, which started off as a pretty good card. Like you know, Abu Dhabi. The entire point of it was right to promote the UFC's Muslim fighters because they're going to be the big names in in uh, in the UAE. Is it? Did I say Abu Dhabi? I meant the U. Uh, the the it is Abu Dhabi actually, uh, which is in the UAE. Um, and here's the thing: Islam Makhachev against Charles Oliveira. Fantastic matchup or decent matchup based on what we saw in the first fight. But Alexander Volkanovsky versus Islam Makhachev is a much better matchup. Does it suck that Volkanovsky took this on like 11 days notice? Yeah, man, it's not best case by any means, by any stretch of the imagination. But, and, and again, I'm disappointed that Volkanovsky has to face, has to get this, the biggest opportunity of his career again under these circumstances. I don't love that Volkanovsky's 35 years old going into this matchup on short notice against a 32-year-old Islam Makhachev. So it, it's, it's interesting, right? Like Volkanovsky's best chance was to surprise Makhachev for Makhachev to take him somewhat lightly, Makhachev to have that difficult weight cut. And now he's going into this bout where he's got a bunch of the disadvantages. He's going into Makhachev's uh, quote-unquote home territory. He's, he's taking this on several days notice, right? Like, like, he's coming off of a surgery, if I'm not mistaken. And so how much training has he been doing lately? These are all concerns for me. And then Kamzat Chimaev, who was scheduled to fight Paulo Costa. And Paulo Costa, you know, he can pull off an antic here and there. And he pulled off his antic by announcing publicly that he has this elbow surgery um, in order to get himself maybe out of the fight. I, I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe he really did it. But, like, what, why are you doing it in this way? And then Kamara Usman was put in his place at 185 pounds. Uh, facing off with Kamzat Shumayev in a three-rounder, right? A five-rounder would have given Usman a pretty, like a, like a better shot, I think. A three-rounder against the bigger Kamzat. I'm curious, man. I'm fascinated. I do think it's a better card now. It is a better card than it was prior. We got Maga, Ma, uh, Magomed on versus Johnny Walker. Not a bad fight on paper. Johnny Walker's been doing pretty well lately. Um, 
And then, you know, if you look below the, below the card outside of that, th- there's nothing too major to write home about. But definitely, definitely leveled up this card, in my opinion. Nikolai, are you on mute again? It's pretty interesting. Um, I think I'm re- like Usman Shemaev. I'm fast. I'm fascinated by. I think I think Usman's going to get steamrolled, uh, but we'll see. You think he'll get uh, steamrolled? Huh? Fascinating. I don't. I think I think the size and the explosiveness and the level of athleticism is going to be really difficult to him with just a guy a guy this a guy this size. I think I look at the success Colby had, who's much smaller than Shemaev, and I look at how much faster. Shemaev is, and I think, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, I think, I'm predicting we're going to see Usman at least for two rounds get ragdolled and and ragdolled. He dude? may, I ragdolled? think so. I think Shemaev, I think Shemaev ragdolls Kamaru Usman. Wow, man, you are that. Confident. I could be wrong. So would you would you feel wrong. this confident if it was not a short notice fight that they put together? And you would need to see what Usman looks like at 185. Yeah, trained properly to be a middleweight, like fighting. I mean, I don't know about trained properly. This is a few days' notice. He had like no semblings of plans to fight at 185, right? So the UFC presumably it's... offered a shitload of money because they want to keep the the UAE happy. They wanted to make sure that it was still a big event. Um, you know, they didn't want Gamrot to take that fight, even though Gamrot was the backup for that main event. Um, and uh, I, mm-hmm. the th- the Shemaev we've seen at 170 or 170 ish is extremely depleted. Like, I want to see this big... I just think he's a big, fucking terrifying, explosive guy. And, yeah, that he is. you know, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Like I said, this is more intriguing for me. It would be a shame to see both Islam and, and Kamzat win because I really like the other two guys. Like, I, I like I like, I like like Islam, to be fair. Like, Islam's a damn good fighter, and, and, and you know, he's, he's a likable dude. Kamzat's a bit of a... Bit of a tool in some ways if you ask me yeah. but he's oh, a damn I, good I, fighter I completely agree. um volkanovsky's my favorite fighter on planet earth though man i don't want to see this man lose and and i don't these are not the i don't like that i mean he it well first of all i mean Kazmat's a minus 300 favorite right now damn, so, well, i mean my my ragdolling is is like it turns out that's the you know what people believe is going to happen um well i, I don't know ra- ra- ragdolling is still a strong term for you know, even for minus three hundred under these circumstances, ragdolling is still like a pretty bold prediction. Yeah, I know. Okay, well, I'm, I think there'll be like a ragdoll moment, but um, sure, maybe that that shocks us. Uh, Islam's up. You know, minus two four is minus two forty favorite. The problem, it's just like I believe Volkanovski can beat this guy, but it's like I want, and he may beat he may beat him. I want them trained for one another. I know. You know, know like the way that you train for Charles Oliveira has to be, you tell me, Stan, you're a fighter. I'm just a guy, a fucking keyboard, but I'm training for Charles Oliveira. I'm not focused on make sure you've got every ounce of everything for 25 minutes because he's going to try to take your soul that entire time. That's not how, like by a war of attrition, that's not how Charles Oliveira fights. You are exchanging kill shots and in almost every fight. Oliveira kills somebody or gets killed. There aren't a lot of five round fights where it's like, what a war with Charles Oliveira. Like they, he finishes or gets finished. He's that he's a zero sum fighter. Um, and I got to believe that the way that Islam Makachev trains for a zero sum fighter versus trains for the most tenacious, most makes the most adjustments, 
brings it for 25 every second of 25 minutes. Guy, you train differently for those dudes. Yeah. Am I, I wrong? Would, uh, I would I would imagine I would imagine so. I mean, look, the way the father would train him, the way that Khabib would have trained him is to go 100%. From everything we know about Islam, he takes shit very seriously and he doesn't um, take shortcuts. I'm not. Let me just be clear for a second. I'm not saying that one is one is more effort or less effort. I'm saying the focus is different. Oh yeah, no, no doubt that the focus on what you're going to do tactically is different. Okay. Also, there's something to the fact that I completely smoked this motherfucker however many months ago, and I'm getting to smoke him again now. Like there is something to that where where you don't maybe have the same edge to you waking up in the morning. It's not this, quite the same motivation on paper, right? And so, like, how self-motivated is Islam in that circumstance? How self-motivated is he considering Khabib wasn't there? And, and you know, I'm sure he had some good coaches around him, but I, I, I wonder that. Um, you know, I, I know that Volkanovski is extremely motivated, and he finds an angle to get him motivated in every matchup. He's the best pound-for-pound fighter on planet Earth, and when he fights a guy like Yair Rodriguez, he figures out a way to... to Put the fear inside of himself so that he knows to train his ass off to do everything humanly possible. He didn't get the chance to do that here. And so that's concerning. At the same time, I'm sure he took a lot from that first fight, right? Like he was more careful in the first couple of rounds. Granted, where Islam is at his strongest, he was more careful in those first couple of rounds, assuming that he couldn't necessarily take Islam down, that he couldn't necessarily do much from top position. He knows he can now, at least against the tire Islam. So again, a lot to consider here. I, I just, if Volkanovsky's cardio is in a good point, if his health is in a good point, he's got... I would say at least a 45% chance of winning this fight. The question is, is his cardio at a good point? Is his health at a good point post surgery? I, I wonder that, man. I really do. I'm, I, again, some concerns. I, I, I love Alex Volkanovski. He's my favorite fighter. Oh, he's, he's amazing. If he's also not ready, we saw, we saw that Islam can hurt him. We saw yeah. Islam can kind of knock him down. We saw that Islam has power, period, at and, this point, right? Yeah. Yes, Islam has power, period, and he's a much bigger guy. Yeah. But Volkanovski... His computer updates, and he was as that fight went on, he was winning that fight. So where do we, you know, where do we start now? It's gonna, it's going to be fascinating. The other part was you saw, you could see in Islam's eyes, as good as he is, Volkanovski never breaks. He never loses. Nope. When he's in and the he cage, knows that he's now. like a lovely guy. Also, yeah. he seen, yeah, Volkanovski's like a shark. His eyes, his eyes roll back. <laughs> They're black eyes. Yep. And he does not. He he doesn't read fear. Even when when Brian Ortega was choking the life out of him, right? It he was all calm towards and the job. Did all the right moves we, to get out of there. Yeah. We we have seen we have seen Islam's against Volkanovski. We have seen Islam lose and regain his composure a bit. We have seen surprise register on his face. We have seen confusion register a little bit. Um, and he adjusts and he's fantastic, but. Yeah, I don't. I if it, that's I don't know who to pick on short notice, but we'll deal with that next week. We've got a whole we got an apex card to pick right now. This card is pretty damn solid for a fight night. Yusuf versus oh, yeah. Barboza of... as the main event is fantastic. We've got you know old guard, new guard thing. Jennifer Maya Arujo is not a bad co-main event. Yanez versus Martinez is a fantastic matchup. Pereira versus Petrovsky uh, promises to be interesting, especially up at one eighty five. Um, Christian Rodriguez, Cameron Simon's going to be good. Like there's some good stuff on this one, man. Um, let's dive into it, Nikolai. You are currently, Nick, I've, I've, I've tapered down that lead. 
you are currently a point and a half ahead, 94 to 92.5. Um, you know, I think at, at, the, at your highest, you were around eight points in the lead. So we're going to see if we can keep this momentum rowing in my general direction. Nikolai, what is your mm-hmm. first pick, buddy boy? Oh, quickly, uh, you, you make a correct pick. You get a point. You make a correct pick of a plus 150 underdog to plus 249. You get two points. You make a correct pick on an underdog of plus 250 or above. You get three points for it, worth triple. Um, Nikolai, make your pick. Uh boy, I'm. Uh, <coughs> I think that the UFC is on a, a rehab uh, mission with uh, the explosive uh, young guy Terrence McKinney, the uh, the gentleman that he's fighting. Uh, Brendan Marote or Marodi, uh, New Hampshire guy out of out of uh, the New England cartel, which is where Rob Font and, and Calvin Cater fight. Um. Yeah, he's getting in there against him, and the the guy's got some knock. He has a lot of uh, KO finishes on his record, but they're against O and O guys, two and O guys, O and one guys, five and eight guys. Like, I think this guy has n- like no UFC experience. It's his debut, and he's going in there against a you know a, an athletic guy who can throw. Um, I think McKinney just wants to be really active after losing a couple fights, and then he, he rebounded and won one. Uh, so, you know, lo- probably a lower-level guy than McKinney should be fighting right now based on some of the success that he's had. Um, so I'm going to go I'm gonna go with McKinney, although there's always a chance now that, you know, that we've seen him uh, get starched and subbed that this guy comes out of nowhere. But he's... I just don't think this. I think this guy. It's a. It's a real tough draw for his first UFC fight, and I don't see anything in his previous fights that tells me like, you know, he's ready for a step up that's this big. It is encouraging that he trains with those guys, but we've seen a lot of people from who who are you know who are like sparring partners and training partners at good camps uh, show up with not much in the octagon. Yeah, I mean the guy has an eight and one record. Um, you know, it's 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 hard to find like some solid footage on him on top of everything else. And the footage that you do see from a couple of years ago, you know, he's got to survive some tough moments to, to get a, to get a kind of comfort behind win or getting a split decision over Dan du, uh, Dubuquet. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Um, and, and, you know, in a fight that maybe should have gone the other way. So, you know, I tend to agree with you. He took this fight on a few days notice too. And so on top of everything else, he's facing this really dangerous guy. He's very hittable. His defense is not awesome. And, uh, and, you know, it's, it's on very short notice in the biggest stage. So I agree with you. I, it's hard to rely on Terrence McKinney, but in this kind of matchup, he tends to come through in the first round. Um, maybe worth placing a bet. Uh, Terrence is a huge favor, but maybe worth placing a bet on him to, to win in the first round. Um, I can quickly look up those odds at some point in the podcast. Nikolai, my first pick, and, and I think like everything else is a little bit more difficult to pick if you ask me on this card. My first pick I think is going to be in the matchup, I'm, I'm stalling because I'm trying to figure out what I want to commit to here, Nick. I think that I'm going to go ahead and take... Commit. Spit it out, asshole. Jeez, like, settle the fuck down. Why are you getting so excited? You always get so fucking excited. I was settled down when I was up eight points before so you pulled that weird, that weird three-point nonsense. Weird th- it was your, it was your idea, and I went with it. Nick. I don't remember. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. Make your pick. All right, whatever. Um, I think I'm going to go ahead and take Chris Gutierrez to beat Ella Tang Haley. Um, is there some concern about Gutierrez facing a power puncher? Yes, but he tends to crumble against aggressive pressure fighters. And Alateng Hei Lee is not an aggressive fighter. He's a low output fighter. He's got a sharp right hand. He's got decent takedowns. And we've seen Chris Gutierrez give up takedowns in the past too. But 
Alatangi Lee is going to give Chris Gutierrez plenty of space to land his kicks. And by the end of it, I wouldn't be surprised if Alatangi Lee has a hard time walking because Chris Gutierrez is going to pl- land plenty of them. Um, I can see Gutierrez's confidence being really affected, but this is a decent level step down in competition uh, uh, from Pedro Munoz. So I'm going to take Chris Gutierrez to, to do his thing here in a make-right matchup for him. Yeah, I think Gutierrez got, after that, after retiring, Frankie Edgar got a little, uh, a little sloppy, and uh, he needs he needs to make. There's a lot of make right fights on this card, and that's one of them. I, I think that I think you're making the right choice here. Um, I'm gonna go, not because I've got an incredible amount of faith, uh, but at um, I guess this is that this is at straw weight. Uh, we've got Emily Ducati, who I think is moving down. I have to check that. Against Ashley Yoder, so. and she's not. Uh, okay. I think it's her um, regular division. Twelve and eight and versus eight and eight. High level of the main Nikolai. Ashley Yoder just has not really. This is just a case of yeah, they're lo- they're lower level, but Dakota's had a little bit more success. Uh, At one and two in the, in the UFC. In it, one and two in the UFC, <laughs> um, and she had, you know, but her, you know, her, uh, and she's also fought higher level competition but she did beat uh the the semi-resurgent jessica penne ashley yoder who's athletic who tries hard like aside from that uh, you know miranda granger win she she got like didn't do very well against Jin frey who's very very small and can't hasn't been successful um at all so i just think uh yeah i just i don't think i just don't think yoder's a, a UFC fighter. Dakota's probably not either. But uh, also, it, team Yoder, she's still with Team Quest. We haven't really heard much or seen anything come out of Team Quest in a while that I'm aware of. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Yoder is not athletic. She tries hard, though. She's got some grit on her, but she moves in slow motion standing. She's got good top position game, but getting into top position is trouble for her. I guess by athletic, I mean she's she has fitness. She's very... <laughs> I suppose that she. I suppose that she doesn't look like she's completely out of shape. That's fair. Um, But that's the thing. She literally moves in slow motion, and she doesn't have the wrestling to get into the range where she's really effective. And if there's one thing Ducati has, it's sharp striking. If there's another thing Ducati has, it's really good takedown defense. So, uh, you know, just given how competitive the wrestling element was in Ducati's last matchup. Um, against uh, uh, who, who did she fight? Not, not Baby Shark Nick. You have your record in front of you, her record in front of you. Who did Ducati just lose to? Uh, Lupita Godinez. Lupita Godinez, who's a damn good fighter, who's right? Not, yeah, who's not to be fucked with? No, Godinez is no joke. So you know, it's a forget. It's a forgiving loss. I would say they both lost to Angela Hill. Um, but again, it's hard to be hard to trust a person with like an basically an even UFC record versus a person with a losing UFC record, especially at these odds. Um, you know, women's MMA is always risky to like really invest in, in the favorite, but you know, I don't blame you. What do you mean? I'm pick. great. I'm great at picking women's MMA. Um, I, I think you're okay at picking women's MMA. I could be wrong, but I think you're just okay. At it. I, could, I could be wrong. Nikolai, my next pick is going to be in women's MMA, in the matchup between Tainara Lisboa and Raven Oliveira. Um, Oliveira is also hard to get footage on, to be quite honest with you. But given Lisboa's ground game, given how she looked in her UFC debut, given that uh, Ravena took this on short notice and that the last piece of footage you can find on her, she doesn't look all that great defensively. Um, unless she's in the top position, she's not necessarily doing so well. And I think Lisboa has shown... I, I should say it's more... Actually, it's more Oliveira's um, 
clinch, that's really more of a factor than, than her top game. Whereas Lisboa is going to have a big ground advantage. And I don't think the clinch is going to be an issue for her since she'll probably be able to take it to the floor and do her thing from there. So I've got to take Lisboa, the woman with UFC success against the woman who took this on short notice and got a big opportunity. All right, I'm going to keep going to the women's fights. I don't think Vivian Orojo has got a chance to beat Jennifer Maia. Not a chance? Not a chance. Damn. I think, I mean, Jennifer Maia only loses to the best. She's really good over three rounds. Orojo gets tired. And Orojo does not have signature wins. There are no moments where you're like, whoa, Orojo, she's really like a next-level contender. She Her 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 wins are against a, a, a Dunn. You know, or over it, Alexis Davis, Montana De La Rosa, I've never been impressed with, Roxy Mataferi, who tries really hard, was always was at a strength disadvantage, and Andrea Lee. Like, those are not big wins. And then she lost to Hibas, lost to Grosso. Yes, Grosso is the champion. Maya only loses to the best. Firo, Chukagian, Shevchenko. That's it. Like, and she beats good, she beats good fighters like Casey O'Neill and Moroz. Um, I just, yeah, I think that, I think that Jennifer Maya is going to be able, uh, uh, to, you know, I think at the beginning, the first two minutes might be a little hairy, but I think she should be able to control this fight. I think she's got, um, I think her boxing will hold up and that, um, as I think she'll end up in top position as the fight progresses, probably through the second and third round. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to think you're right on the pick. Uh, Vivian Rujo is very athletic. She's very fast. She's dynamic, standing. She can get takedowns even, right? And Maya can give up a takedown here and there, despite her overall grappling pedigree being decent. She's given up some takedowns to some fighters that aren't known for their wrestling, right? Um, and so Vivian Rujo could conceivably win the first two rounds, lose the third round, get a decision. But given Maya's higher output lately, you know, she's not fast, but she's very physically strong. She's physically and mentally durable, right? She she keeps trying no matter what. She might not have the best adjustments and ideas, but she keeps trying. And again, lately, super, super high output. And that can make all the difference. And I think like that's that's a realization that she's made is that she can't she can't win a lot of these competitive decisions by coasting on the outside. She needs to dive in and she needs to do damage. And uh and her realizing that I think goes a long way. I'll quickly give you a stat, Nikolai. Jennifer Maya landed let me see. 42 strikes in her UFC debut against Liz Carmouche, who's known for really boring fights. 60 strikes in her next bout. She landed 58 strikes uh, a couple of fights later against Shukagan. She landed uh, tw- well, 20 strikes at Joanne Wood was a one-round fight. But part of my point here, she landed 36 strikes against Valentina Shevchenko in a five-round fight. Nick, lately, she landed 145 strikes against Casey O'Neill. And you know what the crazy thing about it is, Nick? She threw 350. She threw 349 significant strikes against her. And so her high output that's is... That's awesome. Yeah, man. It's, it's really for a three-rounder. It's really impressive. Um, so those kinds of numbers, you got to edge the person that's going to be higher up, but the person who's, who's physically strong, who no, you know is going to still be there in that third round, who has five-round experience. So I agree with you on the pick. It's just Vivian Rujo is so fast and athletic that she could conceivably win um, those first two rounds and then give up the third one. Uh, Jennifer Maya, though, like her fundamentals, her 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 jab is going to give Arujo problems, which we saw in that Jessica I matchup, right? Jessica I lost the first round, first round, took over in the second and third. I could see this going in a very similar way. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Edgar Chires and Daniel Lacerdo. This is a rematch from a recent fight in which Edgar Chires basically caught Lacerdo in a deep, deep choke. And Chris Tagnoni waved off the fight because Lacerdo's arm was hanging and he wasn't responding. And just because he suddenly started to respond after, you know, argument could be made, like, probably should have still been a loss for Lacerdo. 
I've got to take Charez here. I know Lacerdo switched, if I understand correctly, to Shooterbox Diego Lima, which is a damn good camp, right? That's uh, that's uh, um, Charles Oliveira's camp, and, and they've they've put out some really good prospects lately who've gotten some huge upsets, uh, really impressive stuff overall. But it's hard to trust in a guy who's known for going balls to the wall for a round, and if he doesn't finish you, he falls apart. Um, he was more patient in that last matchup, but he wasn't necessarily winning the fight either. So I'm going to go with Edgar Charez to beat Daniel Lacerda. I'm gonna. This is gonna be. I'll take a two pointer here. I probably shouldn't, but the wheels are gonna come off the bus on Darren Elkins eventually. I think one of the wheels is already off the bus. Um, I'm gonna go with T.J. Brown for two. Um, I think T.J. Brown's the favorite, Nikolai. No, no. Hang on. Oh shit! All right, I'm never mind that pick then. I was looking at the odds the wrong way. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on. Uh, Awkward. Yeah. What do you got, boy? Uh, I think uh, I think Michelle Pahea should have gotten a bigger step up than Andre uh, Petrosky. You know, this is at one eighty five, so, right? Oh, that's at one eighty five. Yeah, he's mo- he has no choice but to move up because he didn't make weight against Stephen Thompson. Oh, that's right. And he's facing a grappler, and uh, you know what Michelle, Michelle Pereira's last loss uh, was to a 145-pounder who took top position several times throughout the fight. I'm just throwing it out Well, there. that's that's because he burned out all of his energy doing calisthenic backflips around the cage. That's true. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Guy was not more of an idiot beca- than now, for and, sure. And, yeah, it became, became a meme. That everyone was like when you're when you're when you're button mashing in video games. Yeah, no joke, right? Um, yeah, I'm still gonna I'm still gonna take Bahia. Cool. Um, yeah, look, uh, Andre Petrovsky is relatively slow. He hits very hard. He's out of that Philly team, man, and they're putting out some prospects, including Joe Pfeiffer, who got a big win last weekend. Um, you know, they they they're a legitimate team grappling wise. They are no fucking joke. Those are just powerful, strong men who are using that strength to outgrapple you from top position to just maul mofos, right? And they have pretty good technique, particularly that arm triangle choke seems to be a signature uh, for that team, I believe, including for Andre Petrovsky. He's also got a good, um, uh, I think he's got a good Darce. I don't know if it's an Iconda. I think it's a, a Darce choke that, that he's known for as well. And Michelle Pereira, you know, can he make some mistakes? Yes. Is he moving up to 185? Yeah, but he's going to be the much faster man. He's going to be very hard to take down. It's going to be hard to hold down. Um, you know, is there some concern about him spending time on his back in this matchup? Absolutely. Especially against the bigger, stronger man. It's very possible. But um, I have to edge Michelle Pereira. I think his footwork is going to keep him largely out of danger, and he should be able to land on Petrovsky at a relatively decent clip. Um, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Christian Rodriguez and Cameron Simon. I like Cameron Simon. He's a training partner of Drake's Duplessis, and they both have this signature thing where they go 100%. They don't hold back a thing. They just go balls to the wall, and then they get tired. But then when they get tired, you know what happens? Nothing. They keep going balls to the ball. They keep going really, really hard. They don't relent, and I like that kind of thing. That's a that's a major thing that a lot of coaches are not instilling into their fighters. That Alex Volkanovsky has. That a that a Rafael Faziev has. That right? They get they can get tired, but they will keep pushing. Volkanovski, of course, is in elite condition, and that goes a long way as well. Um, but there's a mindset element. There's a training element to it. And the problem with Simon is that he doesn't necessarily have that power. And yeah, he's been getting fed some rather forgiving matchups, right? And he's facing Christian Rodriguez, who, you know, on paper lost his UFC debut, one weight division up to Jonathan Pearson, 
no shame in that, right? Took that on short notice, made his UFC debut against a, a like, you know, ranked or ranked-ish guy at the time on very short notice. It's a forgivable loss. And that's his only loss in his career, mind you. The thing is that he gave Pearson some really, really hard moments in that third round. He won that third round against Pearson. He took this on short notice and won the third round against a much bigger man. Um, and then he goes on there and he gets rid of Joshua Weems in the first round, UFC fight night uh, uh, by, uh, by Anaconda Choke. He beats... Raul Hossos Jr., the only man to beat him. Granted, he's an 18-year-old kid. I get that. But he like he just like takes over after a round. Just like dominates him. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me, please. And so, Nick, um, I've got to pick him over Cameron Simon. Like, the way that he has talked about, and he's out of that Duke Rufus camp, which, like, I know you don't give them enough credit. I think they're a pretty good camp at putting out really well-rounded, effective fighters in all ranges, right? And yeah, they, a lot of them have some holes in their games. Christian Rodriguez seemed to be, seems to be like a particular prospect coming out of that gym. The way he's spoken about by those coaches and, the, and his training partners sounds like he's no fucking joke. And he showed that in that um, Paul Rosas Jr. matchup, who Paul Rosas Jr. has looked really good against everyone else. Um, I think Cameron Simon has enough holes in his game, and I don't think that Christian Rodriguez is going to get tired and fall apart and lose the fight. On paper, competitive. On paper, two prospects, but I've got to go with Christian Rodriguez to take this one, man. Sorry, I'm still sneezing. So, yeah, I like I like Christian Rodriguez. I think that's the right pick. God, you know, five years ago, I would take Edson Barbosa in this fight, and he's not up high enough to be an underdog pick. I just think, I just don't think Edson Barbosa is durable. I don't think any part of his body is durable any longer. He can still he can still dish it out, but Sadiq Yusuf is going. Um. You know, Sadiq Yusuf hits hard and is just a strong dude. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't know that Barbosa can beat guys at this level any longer. I don't know if he can beat anyone who's not just going to stand across from him and and get kicked in the legs. Well, let me ask you a question. What do you think, uh, what do you think Sadiq Yusuf is going to do to Barbosa? To Barbosa? I think he, I think he'll be able to, um, Land some shots on him. I think he'll be able to. So you, so you think you think he, to... you think he'll likely hurt him? Yeah, I heard that. I think he'll. I think he'll hurt him. I think he can get. He'll get him up against the cage and take away the kicks. I just don't think that Bar. I don't think Barbosa has the has the physical strength or durability anymore to resist like a top fifteen fighter, like well rounded game. Is Yusuf top fifteen? He he might be. Um. So here here's the thing. I. Like, Barboza tends to lose to a certain type of fighter. He can get starched, whether it's early against a Justin Gaethje or late against a Giga Chigadze, right? That's, that's a possibility. But outside of that, it's largely against just pressure grapplers. He can lose a split decision, by the way, that he probably should have won, like against Paul Felder and Dainige, to, to be fair, right? But outside of that, again, these are pressure grapplers. It's Khabib Nurmagomedov. It's Ke- Kevin Lee back when Kevin Lee was maybe in his prime. It is um, uh, Bryce Mitchell who's just pressuring out and grappling him, right? It's it's guys that are going to put the kind of pressure on him that is hard for him to handle. I don't know that Sadiq Yusuf fights that way. Sadiq Yusuf is going to be the slower man in this matchup. Sadiq Yusuf is not an elite grappler. And if, like, grappling is not your A game, I don't know that you're not going to be able to just, like, ragdoll Barboza. If you look at Barboza's wins, right, Billy Quarantillo, uh, Billy Quarantillo got him out of there 
with a knee. Shane Burkos finished him, right? Those are his last two wins. Makwan Amerikani, weird that it went to decision. He should have been able to finish that fight. Dan Hooker, he absolutely roughed up and finished in 2018. Benio Darius, he knocked out. Gilbert Melendez, he, he beat. Anthony Pettis, he beat. These strikers, and particularly these up-and-comers like Shane Burgos and Billy Quarantillo, who look good against that lower-level competition, who don't necessarily have the elite grappling pedigree, who don't necessarily always pressure in the right way. Billy Quarantillo pressures, don't get me wrong, but he pressures with slow-motion strikes. Um, I think Edson Barboza's five-round experience is a factor. He's got a huge, huge speed advantage in this matchup. Um, and Yusuf, like... Can he get a knockout? Maybe. He's not a heavy puncher. He doesn't really hurt people that, that much, right? He's very counterable by a fast opponent. Edson Barbosa is a fast opponent who counters well. Um, no five-round experience. This is a five-round fight, right? He had a very competitive fight with Caceres. He lost to Allen, who, granted, he was winning a lot of that fight, but Allen kept hurting him. Barbosa can hurt the man if Allen can. Allen, also, very, very fast opponent. He lost the third round to Philly. Uh, to, to Andre Philly, where, you know, he it was more competitive against kind of a journeyman that it could have or should have been, right? Barboza loses to a specific set of skills and game plan, and I don't know that Sadiq Yusuf has that in his repertoire. That's not his A game. So I'm going to go with Barboza in this one. I think this is the kind of matchup that Barboza can win against a slower opponent who doesn't grapple, uh, all necessarily have elite grappling, who doesn't have crazy power, who doesn't always necessarily pressure in the right way while keeping himself safe. Edson Barboza is going to be able to land in this one, and I think his fast twitch uh, muscle fibers are still working. Also, I kind of think, like, he's still pretty durable, man. Like, Mentally, I don't think. Let me put it another way. Yeah. Yeah. It's at 145 pounds. Edison Barbosa is 37 years old. He's going to lose to you. being 37. Yeah. Listen, it's possible. It's just usually that's title fight territory. You're facing the best if age is a factor at these weight divisions. I don't know that Sadiq Yusuf has shown himself to truly be on that level yet. Um, and which is again is why I'm I'm picking against him again. Look at his last win. Win was against Don Shanus. A guy that doesn't belong in the UFC took it on short notice. Alex Caceres gave him a competitive. Why fight. would you say that about Mrs. Shanus's baby boy? Well, I actually have a lot of respect for Mrs. Shanus. She she seems like a really good mom, but did she raise a, a high level fighter? We have yet to see. Arnold Allen beat him. Andre Philly gave him a competitive fight. Um, and so again, Ar- Arnold. I mean, Arnold Allen is world class. He is. He's world class. But the fact that he got buzzed by him a couple times. Um, you know, it's concerning. This is a faster opponent that he lost to at this level. So uh, I'm not convinced that he's on this level. He hasn't faced this level of competition outside of Arnold Allen. And so there's a lot to prove here. I'm going to edge Edson Barboza, but I definitely see where you're coming from. I, I see why you're making the argument you're making. And, you know, if Edson Barboza was an underdog, I'm sure you would have considered him more. It's just given, you know, given how... By the way, he was a plus 150 underdog up until like a day ago. So we had, if we had recorded this earlier in the week, like most responsible podcasters do, um, I could have gotten a two-pointer there earlier in the night. Nick, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Darren Elkins and TJ Brown. Here's the thing about TJ Brown. He is known, he's got good wrestling. He's got pretty good striking. He trains with the Bryce Mitchells of the world, right? So like he's got really strong, uh, strong people around him when it comes to like high level MMA. The thing is he tends to be winning fights until he gets buzzed, until he gets hurt. He tends to find his way to losing a fight that he's otherwise winning. Darren Elkins is literally the opposite. He tends to find his way into a win in a matchup that he's otherwise losing. He still tends to lose only to the best, and TJ Brown is certainly not that. Skill-wise, he like, you know, you see moments of him fighting, and you're like, oh yeah, this guy's legit. This guy's no joke. But then you see the entire picture. You zoom out and you look at his career, you look at the way that his fights are going. He just makes too many mistakes and he's not durable enough. Whether it be mentally or physically, he's not necessarily durable enough. For that reason, right? Like a loss to Jonathan Pierce, forgivable to me. 
right? Jonathan Pierce was legit top 10 level for sure. Cub Swanson, you know, a little concerning this late in his career, but he got pieced up by Cub Swanson. It's not like TJ Brown is necessarily going to piece him up like that. Derek Minner, Eduardo Garagori, these are not high level opponents. I'm not sure. I think TJ Brown is closer to that than he is to the Jonathan Pierce's, to the late Nate Landwehr's, the Ryan Hall's of the world, Ricardo Lamas, Alexander Balkanovsky. These are some of his uh, losses for Darren Elkins. I know he's old. I know he is getting beat up. I know he's 39 years old at this weight division, but I'm going to go for two points um, on Darren Elkins. I'm going to roll the dice, Nikolai. <clears throat> yeah, I think this that could end up playing out well for you. When you first said that you were picking this for two points, I was like, ah, he's got the Elkins pick. I don't I don't like that he has it. I'm not saying it's a high likelihood of, of necessarily success. I just didn't like you having that two-point opportunity. So I'm glad I have it. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything left? We have two fights left, Nick. Oh. Oof. I like Adrian Yanez and Jonathan Martinez a lot. They, This is very, very even. And, oh God. So, such a, t- such a tough fight to call. Um, I'm going to go with Martinez. I don't know what else really is. I just and I, I just they they've both they both uh, can get hit. They've got the ability to hurt one another. Um, I just I guess I think that over the course of his career, Martinez has been has been just a little been through the fires just a tiny bit more in his yeah. in his UFC career than Giannis has and, ha- and has had to. We've seen Jonathan Martinez have the bad shit happen against Davy Grant. Yeah. Right. And then and then come back and win five fights, you know. Like we're uh, Yana's just just got knocked out against a really good fighter in Rob Font. Um, but how's I, we don't know how he's going to respond. So he could he could he could just completely scorch uh, Martinez. And but there's just more questions there for me. And I've really enjoyed watching Martinez. Uh, I, I liked him before the Davy Grant incident. <laughs> And, and since that, he's only shown uh, tenacity and growth. Yeah, it's... Uh, and, and, a re- and a real finishing instinct. Yeah, it's, But this is a very, very tough fight. Yeah, it, it is a tough fight to call on the odds being so even. I didn't expect them to be. I thought that Adrian Yanez would be a bigger favorite. Um, but Jonathan Martinez is, like, you know, outside of that recent loss, he's on a streak, man. He's really got a diverse, varied striking game. He's got really good kicking. And Adrian Yanez, you know, he's known for the head kick here and there, but he's not necessarily known for that kicking game. Adrian Yanez also looked pretty human at times against some of his opponents coming up outside of that knockout loss that he just experienced at the hands of and ju- Rob Font. Just to be clear, that loss was the, the recent loss you mentioned is two and a half years ago. For and he's had fi- and he's for Martinez and he's had five and he's had five wins since then. Oh, you know what? For some reason, I remember. So it's not. It's I remember not that being that more recent. recent than it was. That's fair. Yeah, he just came off that win over Said Nurmagomedov, which I think a lot of people I think scored for Said, if I'm not mistaken. Cub Swanson is nothing to write home about. You know, his level of competition has not been high outside of Said, and Said is not high. It's just like a pretty good level of opposition, right? Uh, but anybody that he's faced that like seems to have like speed, fast twitch, muscle fibers. Um, or power, he tends to struggle against them. And that's kind of the concern. But you're right. He's on a big streak at the moment. Say Norm Wingmanov is a guy who has speed and power. Um, and he was able what to... Ta- what are you talking things. about? He beat Thomas Almeida, who is all of those things. Thomas Almeida? Tom- Thomas Almeida? We're pretending like he was... Thomas Almeida? Well, he's a fa- I mean, 
No, I mean he's a fa- he was a fast twitch guy. Sure, like, but he was one and three, one and three going into that fight, and and you know lost his next like lost that fight and the fight after that. Yeah, like granted to Sean O'Malley, but you know he's he's a guy that's been quite frankly finished by many people, and you know Jonathan Martinez didn't exactly finish him. It was a while ago to be fair. I just I just feel like he, yeah, he's not he's not a guy threw, to tout on your record at this point. I'm just saying that his losses were to the champion Cody Garber and Jimmy Rivera, who was like number three, and Rob Font. So it's I'm just saying that like. You know, like Martinez doing what he did to Thomas. The point you were making about who Martinez struggles with, I thought was questionable. Yeah, I mean, I, I get like I'm talking about well put together guys. Andre Ewell is not a well put together guy. Granted, it was a split decision loss, um, but Andre Ewell is not a well put together guy. He's a guy who like succumbs to uh, pressure. He succumbs to the the pace of a fight. And, and he lost that bout. It was a competitive one, if I remember correctly, but he lost that fight. In any case, um, I think I'm going to give the edge to Adrian. I could see Almeida absolutely landing a big knee. Um, I could see – I'm not Almeida, excuse me. I, I could see uh, 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 Martinez landing a big knee. I could see Martinez uh, just landing a bunch of leg kicks and, and making him hobble. But I've got to go with the guy who has more power in the pocket against the guy who has been finished a couple of times by strikes. Um and maybe not a couple, yeah, yeah, uh, like tech, I guess no, just the one time he's only really been finished by strikes against Davis, David Graham back in 2021. Uh, look, it's a close fight on paper. I'm giving the slightest of edges to Adrian Yanas, but early on Martinez could look good. It's just they're both kind of slower starters. I'm going to give the edge to Adrian Yanas in this one, but I don't blame you for making the Martinez pick. Next is the matchup between um, Irina Alexeva versus Melissa Dixon. This is a really hard p- fight to pick. Uh, Irina looked good in her UFC debut against Stephanie Egger. She basically pieced her up on the feet, and then when Egger tried to take it to the ground, she caught a knee bar, finished her there. Melissa Dixon, not very good on the feet, right? She can get touched up. She's got decent amateur experience on top of her 5-0 pro record. She's got some pretty good opposition at, in the pros, right? Like her opposition has 7-0 records, 5-1 and you know, uh, records, that kind of thing. And so... Given that this is Melissa's UFC debut and that, you know, she does well from top position, I think that if Irina doesn't do serious damage early, she's probably going to end up getting taken down and controlled by Dixon later in the fight. But I'm going to go with Irina. I think she's dangerous enough standing. She's got UFC experience. And the fact that she caught that knee bar against a good, pretty good submission grappler shows me that she should be able to maybe surprise Melissa Dixon um, on the ground if it does go there. I'm not necessarily a big believer in Dixon's ability to take... Um, to get high-level takedowns, maybe it's not necessary for it to be high-level against uh, uh, Irina Alexeva. She just seems like a, you know, berserker mode, right? Like she just goes wild with her strikes. She goes wild with her submissions. She's just hard to deal with for most people. And making her UFC debut against someone like that um, can be a tough hoe. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Irina Alexeva, knowing that uh, Melissa Dixon could absolutely take the win. So expert in women's MMA who's gonna win this fight? Nick. Melissa Dixon, because nobody who has a nickname based on another fighter can ever win. What do you mean? Oh, uh, uh, Russia Ronda. Well, she did win her UFC debut, debut against a somewhat successful UFC opponent. I'm just saying. Nikolai, that will do it for this episode. I'm quickly going to run through our picks. Your first pick was Terrence McKinney. Second, you took Emily Ducate. Your third pick was none other than Jennifer Maya. Fourth, you took Michelle Pereira, which I think is a pretty damn good pick. Your fifth pick was uh, Sadiq Yusuf to beat Edson Barboza. And your sixth pick was... Jonathan Martinez to beat Adrian Yanez. My first pick was Chris Gutierrez. Uh, second, I took Tanera Lisboa. My third pick was Edgar Chires. Fourth, I took Christian Rodriguez. Fifth, I took Darren Elkins for two points. And my last pick was Irina Alexeva, which I might regret. Nikolai, I'll be honest with you. There's a decent chance that 
you might expand your lead a little bit on this one. I think you got a couple of clutch picks that are that are that are going to work out for you. This is an event in which like getting the first pick has its advantages. Well, I'm just trying to take it. E- I mean, I'm just hoping to get out of here even. The main event may screw me. We'll see. If El- Elkins may really help you. Um, yeah, but you know, Elkins also on its very, very last leg. I'm just glad to get him a plus 150. If it wasn't plus 150, I'd have stayed away from it. It probably would have been one of the last picks. Yeah, he gets hit once more in the head. He's going to be Bryce Mitchell. It does, kind of, man. It does. <laughs> it's going to take a lot more than one hit to the head to get somebody to be Bryce Mitchell. You got to already be dealing with a whole lot of mental health shit, my friend. It doesn't just happen with the head. Uh, Nikolai, that'll do it for this one, man. I'm looking forward to watching this card again. A decent card. And then we're going into UFC 294, man. I'm so excited about that one. So psyched. I just hope. <laughs> Volkanovski is in as good a shape as he possibly, possibly could be because there's nothing that would make me happier than Volkanovski. And he has to fly, has to fly completely around the world, too. Um, is, it, is it that far, uh, Australia from the UAE? Um, I don't know. Let me look at Google Maps. I think it's pretty far. I mean, time. Let's see. Uh, it would be a 14-hour flight. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty fucking long flight. That's a pretty fucking long flight, and I wonder. I don't think I've, ever, I've never had. I've never had a single flight that long. Um, I I don't know if you knew this. I moved uh, here from the Soviet Union, Nikolai, and uh, at least mm. as a seven-year-old kid, the flight felt pretty fucking long. Moscow to New York. Let's find out, Nikolai. Let's find. Yeah, that out. wouldn't be nearly as long. Moscow to New York is like eleven hours, right? Um, is it? That? I mean, as a little kid, it felt like. Oh well, yeah. Nick. Let me see. Um, also, ten it, hours. Was it, yeah. Was it di- yeah. Was it direct? Well, I, you know, we, we went to Moscow. Wait, why'd you fly from, Mos- why'd you fly from Moscow? Not you, from you, th- you think Uzbekistan has just direct flights to, uh, to, Lagu- to JFK? Is that what you think? You, you think it, it yes. worked that way in the early 90s, Nikolai? You crazy motherfucker. I don't Come know. On. Come on, motherfucker. We, we got to Moscow on horse and wagon, Nick. Tashkent looks very nice. Looks very beautiful. T- Tashkent is actually the city I'm from. And it is very pretty. It is the capital of, of Uzbekistan and probably as technologically advanced as as any city in Uzbekistan. The problem is in the early 90s, technologically advanced in Uzbekistan uh, meant, you know, one in 100 households has a remote control to their TV. Got it. Well, Nikolai, it's, it's been wild. I appreciate you diving into my history a little bit, uh, finding out a little bit more about your boy Stan. I, I appreciate you I, I know you. lots. I know lots about you between the private detective and the dark web shit. Dark web? Um, yeah. The, I, just w- just don't eat those leftovers. I don't. I gotta go. Just trust me. Okay. Later, bud. Good one. <laughs>